Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You are now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool, and welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. My Robert Lopez spot, and I'm right away, go. We invade the airwaves. Why them haters mad? Ain't no stopping us, ain't no topping us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Ain't no stopping us, ain't no topping us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody. Indeed, indeed. Tell a friend, tell a friend that we're live. <coughs> Pardon me, on the airwaves right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, what? My goodness. Uh, we have a lot to get to on tonight's show. So once again, I will be holding down the solo dolo tip. But nonetheless, I have some great content for you guys to get to uh, for this evening's show. Later on tonight, we will be doing a review of Drake's latest album entitled Scorpion. We'll also get into the latest news that involves Nas, Nicki Minaj, and a whole bunch of other people. Uh, but before we get to all that, you guys already know it's that time of the show where I got to get some stuff off of my chest. So on that note, it's time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. Yes, yes. Uh, so first and foremost, oh, so as you guys already know, last week I was not able to do the show because I was actually out of the city. I was out of the GTA, man. Me and some of my fellow cohorts were in Ottawa, the Cap City, uh, celebrating the Canada Day festivities. Speaking of which, one of those cohorts that I was with was my man Goliath Pa, friend of the show, recording artist. Formerly from Ottawa, currently residing in Toronto. Speaking of which, next week he will be having a release party for his new project entitled King. He will be performing at this release party. It goes from 7 to 9. Um, and I will be there covering the events. So therefore, there will not be a live broadcast of Cool Radio next Friday. Instead, I will be covering that event. So make sure you guys remember that for next week. And I'll be sure to give you all the good content coming from that party. Um, also, on top of that, uh, actually, that's probably the main bit of news I have right now, just as far as that is concerned. But nonetheless, let's get into <laughs> the bare bones of what I want to discuss. Pardon me, just had to take a swig of some water. Now, let's get into uh, one of the things that I came across last week while I was in Ottawa, which was, of course, NBA free agency. So that was the hot topic for July 1st. Uh, because that is the day where every, not every NBA player, but all the NBA players whose contracts are done are now eligible for free agency, basically. Whether it's unrestricted or restricted. And everyone's wondering, where's LeBron going to go? Or is Kawhi going to get traded to the Lakers, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And then we all come to find out that LeBron has agreed to sign a four-year deal worth $153 million to the LA Lakers. And... Obviously, me personally, I was not a happy camper about that because I don't like the Lakers. I hate the Lakers. I hate everything about the Lakers. I hate their pretentious attitudes. I hate this this self entitlement that they've you know encapsulated throughout you know many decades of their existence. I hate the fact that they're so privileged of an organization that they can still be at the bottom of the bottom, yet still feel that they can attract the biggest of free agents possible. And lo and behold, they've already done that. Um, before LeBron made his announcement, Paul George announced that he would be extending his contract with the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I was kind of happy about that, not going to lie. Um, and then as for right now, we still don't know where Kawhi is going. Uh, he's still under contract with the San Antonio Spurs as of right now, as of this taping, this recording, this live broadcast. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
But we don't know if he's going to get traded to the Lakers. We don't know if he's going to get traded elsewhere. Hell, he might even just walk. We don't even know if he's going to be in that locker room for San Antonio come October. But at the end of the day, he's still under contract with the Spurs, so that'll be interesting to see. And now we're getting news from earlier today, July 6th, that Kamala Anthony and and the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to part ways sometime this summer. Now, even though Carmelo Anthony uh, opted into the final year of his deal, which is $27.9 million, obviously OKC did not want to pay that huge, huge tab because of his lack of a performance from last season. So therefore, they're going to reach some sort of agreement, whether it's a buyout, a sign-and-trade, something to that extent. <clears throat> so now because of that, a lot of people are speculating that he's going to go to the Lakers or he's <clears throat> he's going to go to Houston. Um, some people are saying potentially Washington. It's it's all hearsay right now. But Lakers look like the most likely and obvious choice right now. I don't think he wants to go to Houston because of the fact that there's too many cooks in the kitchen in Houston right now with James Harden and Chris Paul controlling the ball. And Melo obviously needs the ball in his hands. And since LeBron is the only notable player on the Lakers right now, someone who does demand the ball. He's also someone who can give and share the ball and distribute it at will and look no further than going to the Lakers because he would obviously be a better fit for whatever system they have right now. I can't even say that they have one because that team is devoid of shooters. So at least Melo being on a team, I wouldn't call him a prolific shooter. He's more of a scorer in general, but he can shoot the three ball at a decent clip. So that gives you at least one shooter to work with if that's the case. So... Suffice to say, free agency has been pretty interesting thus far, but I don't see any other major moves happening until we actually see it for sure. I mean, last season was huge in the early July, and then we had a few surprises down the way, especially with the the Kyrie Irving trade. So that's gonna be like that could be like once in that could be a once in a lifetime offseason that we may never see the likes of again. Um, but besides from Melo, you know, agreeing to a buyout or agreeing to part ways or LeBron signing to the Lakers, I think a low-key, the low-key biggest move of free agency has got to be DeMarcus Cousins signing a one-year deal with the Warriors. Now you have a team that has five legitimate All-Stars, okay? And I'm not talking about former All-Stars either, like All-Stars who are currently in their primes. Curry, Thompson, Durant, Green, and now Cousins. And all of them are very capable of shooting the three ball. This is unprecedented. I mean, this is, you know, player movement, essentially. And me personally, like, I'm not mad at it. Yes, we all know that the Warriors look as though they're going to win the NBA once again. But you got to think about it logically. They only got DeMarcus Cousins for cheap. Because of the fact that he's coming off an Achilles injury, injury, which he's probably not even halfway uh, close to recovering from. Like, his recovery time is looking like January, February. So, by the time the season starts, he's not even going to be ready for training camp. He's still going to be in rehab. So, that really dwindled down his his value, his, his cachet, so to speak. And outside of New Orleans, no other team in the league gave him an offer. It was later reported that New Orleans offered him two years for $40 million. But beyond that, no other team gave him an offer because, A, the Achilles injury, and B, his attitude. Like, he has a very rotten attitude for the majority of the time that he's been in the NBA. So that can obviously, you know, steer some people away. But Golden State said, you know what, we'll give this guy a chance. And I think it was DeMarcus Cousins who reached out to his own agent to tell him 
to reach out to the Warriors and see what they're interested in. And I see this as a power move for DeMarcus Cousins because of the fact that you can use this year as a tryout year. Like, let's say you recover in January, for example, just for sake of argument, and you end up having a, a pretty decent year. Let's say you just get 20 points, 10 rebounds a game. A little bit of a far cry from the 25 and the 13 they averaged last year, but 28-10 is still all-star worthy numbers. And if he's able to even do that uh, throughout the year coming up, then he's going to get some major offers. Obviously, he's not going to get the ball as much anymore because this is a team that shares the ball to distribute the ball. Everyone's numbers slightly go down a little bit, not drastically, but you're gonna your points are going to go down by about three or four points roughly, give or take. So that could be something that he may have to adjust to as well as adjusting to just playing basketball in general after being out of action for, what, nine months, let's say, what the timetable is. So, again, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I don't think the NBA is ruined. I don't think the, the system is broken. I think people have found ways to finesse the system. That's all that's happening right now. And, again, I just can't help but to think that if this was the Lakers, everyone would be like, oh, you see, that's the Lakers dynasty. That's Laker greatness. Everyone wants to be a Laker. This is why the Lakers are great, guys. But no, it's the Warriors. And what people have to understand is that the Warriors were one of the biggest laughingstocks of NBA history. They were the team that if you had NBA Live or NBA 2K back in like the, the late 90s, early 2000s, especially for 2K since it came out in the year 2000, um, then you weren't trying to use that team. The only way you're using that team is if you lost a bet. And you had to use that team because you had no choice. So I think people need to keep that in mind, that these guys were a laughingstock, and now they're the cream of the crop. And I, for one, couldn't be happier for them. I'm not a huge Warriors fan. I can't say that I am. I'm a Raptors fan for life. But at the end of the day, I can't get mad at what the Warriors have done over the last few years. They drafted right. They built up their talent. They, they got the right coach in mind to implement somewhat of a nuanced style of play. And in turn, they won the championship. They changed the way the league plays basketball now, and they've attracted other big-name free agents to sign with their team because they enjoy their brand of basketball. You can't get mad at that. You really can't. And if this is your team doing it, then you wouldn't be mad either, and you know it. But, hey, what do I know? Either way, what do you guys think about NBA free agency right now? Are you loving it? Are you hating it? Are you somewhere in the middle? What moves do you think are going to be happening you know, going forward into the summer? Either way, hit me up on social media at CoolRadioCC and share your thoughts. <clears throat> Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about Drake. We're going to talk about that Scorpion album. <laughs> Did you like it? Did you hate it? Either way, we're going to discuss it. And it's all on Cool Radio. Right after these messages, yeah. Uh, yes, yes, yo. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. Now, let us get to the main topic of tonight's evening. Excusez-moi. We are going to talk about Drake, the Scorpion album. We are going to talk about that right now. We're going to review it. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, what we liked, what we didn't like, all that good stuff. Uh, we've had a week to, di to digest it now. And from what I find from the album... It's a pretty decent album. It doesn't really move the needle for me as far as Drake's projects overall. I feel like all of his projects are kind of like evenly matched, so to speak. Um, 
I'll talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about the good stuff that I liked. Okay. So, as you all know, it's a double-sided album. You got the A side, you got the B side. And I find that double-disc albums in general are very hard to pull off because people's attention spans are very small. And also that leaves you the room to create a lot of mistakes, basically. And with this album... I saw the flaws in it, but I saw the positives in it as well. So once again, let me just get to the positives. So what I liked was Side A. Side A was, it was, it was good. I liked it. Side A overall was good. Um, what I got from Side A was the type of rapping that I want to hear from Drake. Uh, from Drake. I didn't get too much of the trap rap, which I feel is very derivative, not just from Drake, but from like any artist in general, unless if there's a concept to, to how you're doing it. But I got rapidly rap Drake, like comeback season-esque Drake in terms of the flows and the flow pattern and all that. I mean, right out the gate, survival. Listen, that beat and the bars he was dropping on that record were insane. My man said, you niggas pop mollies. My mollies pop niggas. My goodness. I know every man in Rexdale and Ottawa were feeling that line right there, okay? But no, he had gems like that, which I really appreciated because... I've been saying this for years. When Drake tries to rap, when he's actually trying, when he's putting his A-game into it, this man has bars for days. His wordplay is crazy. And people should not underestimate that even for a second. So I really appreciated the fact that Drake was really going in. And then you have the record nonstop, which I feel is kind of like that riding in the whip with your homies type of, type of record that you want to play. You kind of play that record like late at night, like, like at least like 9 or 10 or whatever when you're cruising downtown. You know, you and your boys are on a mission, or you and your female, or you and your ladies are on a mission as well, uh, heading to wherever, basically. So that record was cool, um, but for me, the standout record on side A was Emotionless. I love that record. That is easily my favorite record of the entire album as a whole, and I don't see that changing anytime soon, mainly because of the content that he was spitting on there. The first verse, you could argue that he was talking about the whole Kanye and Pusha T situation, and then the second verse, he was just talking about how social media corrupts a lot of people, and it really creates this generation of people who do the most for attention. Like, he was talking about different stories of women who take a whole bunch of pictures when they're on vacation, but then they just kind of sporadically put those pictures out once they come back and make it seem as if, like, they're there all year round, you know, just keep you up for appearances. Uh, he also said, he also talked about a story about a woman who has the happiest marriage until she puts down her phone. So kind of highlighting the couples who kind of live vicariously through one another through means of social media, taking pictures of them going to a theme park or to a sporting event or a concert their whole entire social media timeline is just filled with pictures of them. And then we all assume that they're the most happiest couple in the world. But what we don't see behind the scenes are maybe a, maybe things like abuse or infidelity or anything of the sort. And that's why I liked it, liked it when he said, you know, she has the happiest marriage until she puts down the phone. So without those social media, we don't know what's going on in her private life. He also had another line in that record where he said... Um, a wise man once said nothing at all. Love that line. Matter of fact, he gets a cool job for that. Cool. There we go. Gets a cool job for that. I love that line because I'm always under the belief where you shouldn't talk a whole lot of your plans or whatever you have in the works until it's ready. And I feel like the loudest people in the room 
are often, you know, the quietest when it comes to their overall ambition. That's what I always find. People who always find, who always have to find to talk a big game about something that they may or may not know, I feel like they're the ones who are looking for attention for the most. So I really love the fact that he said that line in there too. Um, what else did he say? And then, of course, he said the line that everyone's talking about. I didn't hide my world from the kid. I hid, my, I hid the world from my kid, basically. Um, I love it. I love it because at the end of the day, you don't want to expose somebody so young to a world that's just so very fabricated and unforgiving. Like, he's the child of a celebrity father, basically. And that's going to weigh a lot. That's going to weigh heavily on a lot of people as they grow up. You hear about these child stars or the, the kids of stars who grow up and they become very erratic and they they rebel a lot just so they can get their own their own spotlight essentially. So I like they they put that line out there. I, I know the Drake haters or the people who just can't stand Drake for whatever reason are gonna be like, no, that's no excuse, guys. That's no excuse. He's a deadbeat. No, he's he's not a deadbeat father. He doesn't have to expose his kid out for the world to see on social media. That's his choice to not do that, and I, for one, commend him for that. Like, you don't have to be a DJ Khaled and, and promote your son aside all the time. It's like, hey, we get it. You love your kid, as you should. Just, just chill, all right? So I was okay with that. That was cool. Um, overall, that was a good record. There's so many quotables from that from that song, but the, the thing I took away from that song in particular was social media can be the devil. It can be so flawed. It can be so false at times. Some, like Even like my personal account on IG, I haven't used it in like weeks, maybe even a month at this point. So I'm just glad that Drake decided to make a record about that. And... And again, another another line that I loved was talk was him talking about how people love to shit on their own city that they live in and make it sound so bad when they go over to another city for a vacation, whatever the case may be, and big that city up for whatever reason, you know. So I, I also like that line. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along to that extent. So that was really cool. I liked it. Um, other than that, man, he had he had a lot of good songs. He had eight out of ten. Love that record. He had Sandra's Rose produced by Primo, and I love it when a rapper goes over a Primo beat. I just love it. It feels like an event to me. I love it. I wish the scratchy hook was there just for signature purposes, but I'm not mad. Um, I also like man. I mean, God's plan grew on me over time. I'm upset. It's all right. It's within the context of the of the album. I like it better. And then if you're watching the video for it, you know it's good. But on its own, I can understand why people weren't really digging it that much. Um, other than that, man, like there was a lot of solid records. I wasn't really too high up on the Jay Z collaboration talk. I think it was called. I wasn't really too high up on it. I was like, okay, it's cool. Like it doesn't really do a whole lot for me. It's all right. The beat was nasty. I'll give them that. But it felt very very nonchalant on both Jay's side and Drake's side, so I was kind of whatever about it, but the beat was pretty dope. Um, but overall, like, the rap side, the rap side of that album, which was side A, essentially, I was digging it. I liked damn near every minute of it, and I loved it. And I would have been just happy with that part alone. And what I like about it the most, not just side A, but side B as well, was that the features were very limited, which is all you could ask for, so... Good on Drake for doing that because I feel like sometimes he has a habit of putting too many features on an album, project, mixtape, playlist, whatever you want to call it. But that's my take on side A. Now, that brings me to side B. And here's where the negative comes in. I have to say I wasn't really digging side B. Side B was, eh, it was just all right. Like, side B felt very incohesive. It just felt 
random. Like that to me felt like a playlist. Like if you had to com compile some of your favorite Drake slow jam records and R&B records, for example, I feel like that's what we got with side B. And it just didn't really feel like it felt the narrative of what he was trying to go for on this album. I just felt like he put it in there because he knows the ladies are going to love it. The radio is going to eat it up and the dudes will play it when they're in their feelings, if that ever happens. And I get it. That's been the Drake for formula for so long. But like maybe me as a listener, I might be getting bored of that formula. I, maybe I want to hear more depth. And maybe that's why I enjoyed Side A a lot better. Because not only was he rapping hard, but there was a lot more depth to it. On this side, there was very few moments of depth. In fact, I feel like I didn't really dig Side B until near the end of it, from like track nine and onwards. Songs like Final Fantasy... Um, and then you had songs like the one that you had with Ty Dolla Sign was pretty dope. It kind of had like a bit of a 90s feel to it. So maybe Nostalgia got the best of me on that one. And then, of course, March 14th. I mean, he's talking about his son on that record. And ironically enough, that was even an R&B record. That was a rap record, right? So again, that was probably, oh yeah, and then the, uh, the Michael Jackson feature. Now, a lot of people don't really like that song. Me, I feel like I'm in the minority when I say I like it. It was probably, at one point in time, it was my favorite record on that side but i think it's kind of changed a little bit now but it's still one of my one of the more enjoyable records on that side of the album um people were saying that the weekend could have sang it because the weekend kind of has a similar tone and pitch to uh, michael jackson some people were saying that they didn't like the sample that michael jackson used some people were saying it was so disrespectful for for him to be using a michael jackson sample i mean whatever we say that about how many dead artists that we sampled their music i mean how many times has tupac been sampled biggie how many times has jay-z quoted biggie's lyrics in, in, in every record but we have no problem with that but now we have a problem with this it's so disrespectful oh my god shut up whatever anyways that's my take on that particular song and I, I liked that i thought it was cool um and another thing that kind of makes me not like side b is the fact that there are so many unnecessary records on side b like Happy Ratchet birthday. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, come on, man. Like, I feel like Drake always has that one what the fuck record on every single album or project. Maybe even two or, mul or even more multiple ones. But there's always at least one what the fuck record he has in there. And on this album, it was that record. Um, I could go down the list of what other what the hell what the f records that he's had in the past, but right now this is the latest one. Like I get it, girls are gonna like it when they're drunk in the club, and they're gonna, someone's gonna be celebrating their nineteenth or twentieth birthday, and the DJ's gonna play, be like, happy, happy ratchet birthday, happy, happy ratchet birthday. Like I don't care for it. Like, and it's just weird that it has this like calypso rhythm beat to it. Like I I don't know what he was going for it. I mean, it's cool if you're going to a Luhau in, in Kauai and they're playing that record, I guess, but it doesn't do anything for me, so I'm sorry, but I'm not digging it. And then you also have um, Nice For What. That's a dope record. Video or no video, that's a dope record, so I'm not mad at that record at all. Um, but overall, Side B was just kind of, it, eh. it was all right. It was, eh. Side A, I was like, yes, I love Side A. Side B, eh. So the thing that, I really don't like when it comes to Drake albums for the most part. And side B plays a heavily into this. It's the fact that, as I was saying, like there's so much filler. And overall, it just means that you have too much songs on an album. And when it became clear that this is a double album, I got worried. 
I got word before I hit play. I got extremely worried. I'm like, oh, no. He's about to do it again. We're going to get, like, five or six songs way too extra, and it's going to drag down the quality of the album. When I finished listening to Side A, I'm like, oh, damn near every track has been digestible thus far. Okay. And then we go to Side B, and it's like, ah, here we go again. Here we freaking go. So I don't like it when he has too many songs on the album. Because every he averages about like 20 to 21 songs per album or per project in general. And it, it annoys me because it just drags it down that much more because we don't need the fat. Just cut the fat out. The only album that I find where there weren't too many songs, it was cohesive, it was concise, and the, the features were limited, was nothing was the same. Which is why I still think to this day that nothing was the same is his best album. And the features that were on there, they were used properly. Pound Cake with Jay-Z, Front Time with Janae Aiko. Those are the, the only features I can think of. I know the Birdman was on one of them, but that was on one of the throwaway records that he had on there. Um, but overall, this album was it, was... it was... It was good. Like, if I had to rate it between 1 to 10... Or let's just say, you know, let me give it some cool points. Actually, from one cool point to ten cool points, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it. I'll give it. I'll give it an even seven. An even seven. I'm thinking like I was flirting with like six point eight six. You know what? I'm gonna say it. It, it deserves between six point eight to seven cool points out of ten. I'll say this: if he had, let's say it was a single album, single album, and he had. 15 tracks on there. You can keep maybe, I think there was, a, there was 12 tracks on that first side, side A. Take out maybe two of them. Substitute them with maybe the last three or four songs on side B. Shuffle it around. And you might have the best Drake album I'll say album, not project as a whole, but I'll say album that we've had thus far, if he had done that. But the way it's currently constructed right now, yeah, it's six to eight, it's it's six point eight to seven cool points. I'll give it that. Because damn, there's a lot of filler in there that filler that we didn't need. That you could have saved that for like a B-side album, so to speak. Like like a like a lost tapes or like an EP of some sort. But yeah. I really wanted this to be a good album, like a really, really good album, like like a great album almost. I really wanted it to be, especially in light of what's happened with Pusha T and all that stuff. But it's just like it's it's a decent album. It's a decent album. Drake really hasn't really moved the needle for me since nothing was the same. And even with that one, that one still had its missteps as well. But it's still his best album thus far. I feel like Drake is just kind of playing it safe right now, and he'll give us a few gems here and there. Overall. It's a listenable album. Like I guess you can like shuffle it any way you want to. You can kind of customize it any way you want to and put it into your own particular place of what tracks you want to hear. But for now, I got to give it that 6.8 to 7 range, basically. So that's my rating on it. Between 6.8 to 7 cool points out of 10. And at the end of the day, we already know he's going to do numbers with this. And that's going to be one of my stories heading into our next segment of the show. But nonetheless, what do you guys think? Do you think it was a solid album? Could he have done better? Should he have removed certain tracks from the album? Or was it just right? Either way, let me know. Hit me up with, with your thoughts. Uh, hit me up on Twitter or any social media platform in general at CoolRadioCC and share your thoughts. 
coming up after the break, we got Trip Talk. We got to talk about the numbers that Drake did. We got to talk about a new business venture that involves Nas and also Azealia Banks versus Nicki Minaj, apparently. But keep it locked. We will be right back after these messages. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. Uh, let's get into Trip Talk, guys. You already know how it is. Three topics to get into. So let's get into it, shall we? <clears throat> so for the, for the first person we got to talk about is Drake, all right? So we just wrapped up our Drake discussion as far as the album review goes. And now we got to talk about the numbers. So the numbers are officially in right now. And as it turns out, Nas hit, or sorry, not Nas, <laughs> Drake hit platinum the day the album was released. So that mainly had to do with, with streams. So if you get a certain amount of streams, then it equals up to one sale uh, of an album, depending on how many streams of a song you got. So that whole album as a whole got streamed plenty and plenty and plenty and plenty and plenty of times, which is which amassed to the platinum rating that he got based on that. So we all knew that Drake was going to do numbers. This is clear as day. Um, his quote-unquote loss to Pusha T in the battle didn't hamper him at all because at the end of the day, he may have lost the battle, but he clearly won the war. And it never really was a war in terms of, like, record sales because we all knew that Drake was going to outsell him regardless. Like, Pusha did 70000 and it's funny because when he was doing his radio promo for the album, it was more about the beef with Drake. And with Drake, he didn't talk about the beef with Pusha T at all during his promo. And in fact, Drake hasn't really done a whole lot of promo as far as like radio interviews and all that stuff is concerned. He's, that's not really his thing. And if he does do that, then he'll most likely do it with Zane Lowe on uh, Beats 1 Radio, basically. So his selling power is so strong. Like, say what you want about his music. You may think his music is amazing. You may think his music is mediocre. But at the end of the day, Drake is still a hot topic within hip-hop and pop culture. And at the same time, he's still going to have at least one or two hits on an album that are going to carry out through a particular season of the year. And Drake typically likes to have things pop up during the summertime, uh, whether it's a back-to-back Meek Mill disc record or if it's Views or if it's anything else. He typically likes to do it during the summertime. He's done it in the winter. He's done it in the fall. But summertime is usually like when he's in, in Drake mode, basically. So that was no different this year. He did it right on the weekend of Canada Day weekend, so how patriotic of him to do so. And just as a side note, I'm kind of curious as to why he named the album Scorpion. I don't know the concept behind that, and I'd be curious to know why he named it such. I just don't like when people, and I'm not saying that, I'm not accusing him of doing this at all, but I don't like it when artists in general give their album a name and there's no contextual background to it. Like, there's got to be a concept to it. Like, an author doesn't name a story for the sake of giving it a cool name. Like, there's got to be some correlation to the name of the story and what happens within the story as well. That's just how I look at things. Call me, like, a nerd for that, but that's just how I operate. But that's a little side point. Either way, Drake is doing crazy numbers. I don't think that was ever in jeopardy at all. A lot of people are saying, oh, Drake's done now. Drake's done. You know, Pusha D's going to end his career. No, he's not going to end his career off a diss track. Like, Drake's catalog is too strong for that. His cachet is too strong for that. And there have been a lot of rappers who have been at the top. And sure, they've had some breaking news coming that may have hampered them a little bit, but never destroyed them. Like that picture of Lil Wayne kissing Birdman back in like 2007. I mean, I think that was an old picture of that surface in 2007. And yeah, people were poking fun at him for a moment. But like 
Drake or sorry, Lil Wayne ended up becoming like the hottest artist the, the next year, the following year anyway. Um, there was the thing with uh, 50 Cent exposing Rick Ross's baby mama on, on camera having sex with the next dude. Rick Ross was still doing numbers anyway. Even after the whole Papa Molly and a drink, she ain't even know it. He was still doing numbers anyway. So things like this don't really hamper artists. The only things that hamper artists is if they don't put out records that people don't like or aren't catching that buzz. And if that's the case, then that's when you know you're done. But Drake ain't done. He's got a lot more left to go. So all these people wishing for his downfall, I mean, keep wishing. I mean, your wish is not going to come true upon a star. That's all I'm saying. So either way, he's going to do the numbers, and that's all there is to it. What do you guys think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Either way, let me know what your comments are. Now, speaking of falling stars, let's talk about another artist in particular, another couple of artists, actually. Let's talk about Azealia Banks and Nicki Minaj. So Nicki Minaj is set to put out a new video for one of her latest singles. And to be honest, I don't know the name of the single. I'm sorry, I just don't care to. <laughs> um, but she's putting out a new video for it, and the visuals have her in a mermaid outfit and her titties kind of exposed, like somewhat exposed, basically. And Azealia Banks is coming for her head because Nicki Minaj allegedly stole that look that Azealia Banks did of a mermaid way back in like 2013 or 2014 for an album cover of some sort. So she called her about called her out about it on Twitter. And as we all know, Azealia Banks is the world's busiest troll. She's arguably the internet's biggest troll, I think. Kanye may may have something to say about that, but she's definitely up there in the Mount Rushmore of trolls in this day and age right now. And this is no different from what she's been doing. And she's also caught herself becoming a hypocrite in that regard. Now, I find it funny that Azalea Banks is saying that she stole that mermaid look, but the mermaid look has been popping since God knows how long. I mean, even the Little Mermaid was a ripoff of something else, and that came out in what what year, like the ninety something. So I feel like it's a stretch, and I feel like it's yet another way for Izzy Banks to interject herself into the mainstream once again without having any music to show for it. And I've gone on nauseam on record to say how pathetic of a person she is. Never mind an artist, but a person she is for stooping to that type of low. Because at the end of the day. We don't want to hear you moan and complain about something. We want to hear music from you. If you want to be relevant in our minds and our ears, you have to put out music, music that we give a shit about. We don't give a shit about you whining and complaining about who stole your look. We don't care about you skin bleaching. We don't care about you only wanting to date white guys. We don't care about anything that you said that has nothing to do with your music specifically. So to Azealia Banks, like, I would give you the wanks of the week, but, like, you're basically in the hall of shame for that for the umpteenth time, and I got someone else in mind for that. So, yeah, you're just you're, – you should be canceled at this point. You should be canceled. As for Nicki, I don't really have anything to say about Nicki Minaj in this scenario because she didn't clap back to her or say anything in response to that. Uh, but overall, I just feel like Nicki as an artist hasn't evolved at all. She's still the Harajuku Barbie doll that we've been seeing for the last almost 10 years now, if you think about it. And she hasn't really done a whole lot to evolve her look. Yeah, she says she's going to wear less weaves and go more natural, but a weave isn't really natural if you think about it. But anyways, that's that's besides the point. I'll, oh, I'll sit my teeth to that. I hit my funny bone. Um, yeah, either way. I just, yeah, Nikki doesn't do it, any, do it anymore for me. Like, 
even some of her hardcore fans that I I don't know all of her hardcore fans, obviously, but some of them that I've come across, even they're kind of falling out of favor. And I just feel like the people that I know who used to love her and adore her, they're just growing older. They're going into their later 20s, creeping into their 30s now. And they've just kind of matured away from her music. So it's like, who is she really making her music for now? That's the big question. Is she making it for people who are in their teens and in their early 20s? Like, is that her crowd now? Because I feel like the type of music she's doing now has been the same music she's been doing since 2008. And it's not really going anywhere. And I feel like every time she wants to put out a big single, it catches somewhat of a buzz but it doesn't really go anywhere after that. So maybe that's just me being a Nicki skeptic or or just not being a fan of her music at all. But I think that's really the case because I don't know. I, I just I don't see that buzz around her. At least even back in the day when I still wasn't a fan of her, I saw the buzz. I understood the buzz. But now it's just it's not there. And she's kind of coming across as a little Kim now, which is ironic. So we'll see what happens with that. But either way. If you guys agree or disagree, either way, hit me up. Hit me up on Twitter, at CoolRadioCC, or any other social media platform that you see me on, and share your thoughts. And final topic of Trip Talk, man. We got to talk about my man Nas, Nasty Nas, N-A-S, Illmatic himself. So, this man is quietly securing the bag. And I say that because he recently, uh, well, not even recently, within the last four years, I should say, he bought shares into, a, he, he put money into an investment company, or into an investment, I should say, uh, into a company uh, called, um, I think it's called Philly Packs or something like that. Uh, but basically, it's a delivery service for pharmaceutical needs, essentially. And he did so back in 2014, and he's ma- been making re- uh, revenue off of that since. Now, he has, uh, a, he is basically going to be collecting a lot more ch- uh, checks off of that because of the fact that Amazon purchased that company for a whopping $1 billion. Now, the company, the people who started that company are each going to earn uh, $100 million. So basically, two-tenths of that deal is going to go towards those two gentlemen. And Nas and his uh, investment company, I think it's called Queens Queensbridge Ventures, they're going to invest a heavy chip on, on that as well. The amount that they're going to be getting is currently undisclosed right now, but you have to imagine that they're going to get a piece of that pie as well because of such a large investment, such a, such a large coup, essentially, is going towards them. So I say good for Nas, uh, good for him. He doesn't have to just live off of music. He can live off of those business ventures. Those can be his side hustles. And like at the end of the day, he knows that he doesn't have to feel pressured to make music to make money so that he can go tour off of that. He can live comfortably off of the millions of dollars that he's uh, currently been investing that are going to go back to him. Now, the only thing that kind of like sucks about the situation that's kind of bittersweet is that you know that based on the way that child support works, a, a chunk of that, a huge chunk of that is going to go towards Khalees. Now, I'm not saying that she shouldn't get that money, but at the same time, that money should be used properly because it's called child support for a reason. Now, I know there's spousal support involved in their little arrangement, I should say, as well. I just don't like hearing about people abusing that system, basically. And that's why you always hear about a lot of these Instagram models, whatever you want to call them, 
uh, wanting to be flown out by these rappers so that they can trap them and have their kids so that they can live off of those checks for the next 18 years so they can do whatever they want with it. And I'm not saying Khalees is like that. I'm not saying that at all. But it did drive me nuts way back in like 2011 when I heard about how she's going to be earning $50,000 a month in child support and spousal support because she has to accommodate her style of living. And the only reason why it made me mad is because of the fact that Khalees in her own right has her own career. Like she was a recording artist. She was a songwriter. She's worked with other artists. She was signed to Pharrell. Like she had her own career going. Like I would understand if if she was just like some random girl who wasn't working or worked like a minimal job or something to that extent and uses that as an opportunity to come up. But I don't see how it was, I don't want to say fair, but logical at the very least that the judge awarded $50,000 despite the fact that she is a recording artist, that she's, I don't know how much she's made, but she's at the very least made six figures you know, throughout her entire, you know, music career up until that point. Because she's had, she's had big hits on the radio. She's toured a lot. I mean, it's beyond me at this point, I would say. Um, but kind of going back to this deal that, that Nas has, like, I'm sure all the legalities will, will be evened out at some point in time. And we'll see what he does with that. Because I really love the fact that he's hustling right now outside of music. And, and sometimes it relates back to the music as well. So, Get paid, black man. Go get your money. Do it the legal way, man. I'm not mad at it at all. But what do you guys think about that new deal? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Either way, hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to play um, a, a flashback uh, Friday track of the day today. We're going to jump straight to Wanks of the Week, all right? So with that being said, let's get to it. <clears throat> Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. This week's Wankster of the Week goes to film director Lee Daniels. Now, Lee Daniels is getting the Wankster of the Week, not because for his horrible work with Empire and any other thing that he has touched in Hollywood. I've, although I will admit that that... The Butler was a very good movie. Uh, but because of the fact that he is refusing, not refusing to pay, but he has yet to pay Damon Dash a large lump sum of money that he loaned to him so that he could invest that money into a lot of these films and TV shows that he has made over the last decade or so. So according to Damon Dash, he is owed $2 million by Lee Daniels because he gave him that money so that he could create the film Precious, all right? And as you know, that film garnered a lot of critical uh, a lot of critical praise. It was seen by many in theaters. It did good box office numbers. And from then on, it catapulted Lee Daniels' career as a producer, basically. So he's gone to produce uh, shows like Empire, Stars, um, and he's also produced the film uh, The Butler with Forrest Whitaker and Oprah Winfrey. He's done a lot of work within Hollywood over the years, and you would think that someone who has done so much work, you know, and it has been successful financially at the very least, you would think he would at least set up some sort of payment option or payment plan to pay back Damon Dash in installments, you know, like a hundred thousand here, a hundred thousand there, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know what the what the pay deal would be like. But something to that extent. But he has yet to do that. And it was so bad to the point where Damon Dash actually had to confront uh Lee Daniels at some sort of 
award show or concert of some sort. I think it was a concert. Um, but basically, he was very adamant about wanting to get his money back, and rightfully so, because let's be honest, $2 million is a lot of freaking money. I don't care who you are. That is a lot of cheese. So he confronted him about it, and so far, it's yet to be settled. Um, but nonetheless, Lee Daniels, you're an asshole. You are an asshole. You're a jerk. You've made all this money for the past decade. I'm sure you're swimming in millions right now. And I'm sure you've been using some of those millions to invest it into other films and projects that you've been creating as well. Why not give the man his money back? He didn't have to give that money to you. I didn't even know Dame Dash had money like that, to be honest, anymore, ever since Rockefeller dipped. But clearly he does, and clearly you're not giving him back that money. So I think you should give him back that money because it's... It's very disheartening, especially when you look into the context of the black community, that we're all trying to help each other grow and come up and and be prosperous. But we can't do that if we're kind of, you know, sneaking behind each other's backs and doing nefarious activities and making sure that the other person doesn't come up as well. So at the end of the day, give the man back his money. He deserves it. It's his money anyway. And it's called a loan for a reason. A loan is to make sure that you get the money back because that person is investing their money into you. And as soon as you've made that money, your duty is to return that money back to that person or to that party, basically. Whether it's all at once or you want to do it in installments, that money is not yours to keep. It is the money of Damon Dash. He deserves his money back. Not the biggest fan of him, but I am a fan of principle, and principle matters. He gave you that money, now you have to give him back that money. And because you have yet to give him back that money, you are the wankster of the week. Do you deserve this wankster? Of course you do. And I'm going to drop it on you one more time, just like this. Sorry for the delayed reaction. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to... And the broadcast. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in once again, as you normally do. Uh, as I said at the beginning of the broadcast, next week we will not. I will not be doing a live broadcast of Cool Radio. Instead, I will be. I will be on the scene. I will be on assignments, as I will be covering uh, the release party of friend of the show and recording artist Goliath Paw. He is having a release party in downtown Toronto around which, Richmond Street, if I'm not mistaken, and he will be performing records off of his latest project entitled King, and it will be running from 7 till 9. So make sure you guys are in the area to keep uh, to keep that locked. Uh, save that date. It's going to be a lot of fun. I already guarantee it. If you've never seen that man perform, this man puts on one hell of an amazing show. You will not regret it. And if you are part of the industry as well, you want to mix and mingle with some of you know the industry peeps and what have you, then I advise you come to the show as well because that will be an opportunity for networking as well. So make sure you go check that out, okay? Uh, other than that, that ends it for another show. I want to thank y'all for tuning in. And you can always uh, keep us locked on social media, at Cool Radio CC, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and YouTube. All right? And as you already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.